Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And we have probably devoted at least half of our episodes to the power of awareness, of becoming attuned to your own thoughts and your feelings and behaviors. But what if we could use this power of awareness to stay safe? and save our own lives. Our guest has spent the majority of his life and career engaging in some of the most high risk and high consequence activities. He was a squadron commander for Black Hawk Town, a combat controller who snuck into countries using many aliases, and he spent decades jumping from aircraft as a military high altitude, low opening parachutist. He established and served as a commander of two special operations squadrons, and he also later became a professional base jumper, which I would just begin by saying, Dan, is probably undoubtedly the most high-risk sport you can engage in, correct? It is. It's, it's about as um, close to the edge of uh, mortality as you can get because the uh, toll exactly when you make a mistake is usually complete. You're yeah. not going to sprain your ankle. You're going to die. But the upside is it's a very centering activity. It, it concentrates your, your attention, and to me, it helps – induce a sense of sort of zen-like peace in the in the seconds before i jump and just as i jump off of a cliff or a building in vegas or whatever it is that you're base jumping off of um in that first second or two before gravity takes over and you're accelerating at 32 feet per second per second there's a peace that is not resident in many other types of things and i have always found that to be very helpful this new book is so wonderful i read it completely through last night the power of awareness. It's out now. It's secrets from the world's foremost spies, detectives, and special operators on how to stay safe and save your life. It feels to me like there is a disconnect between a person who takes on such a high-risk activity, such as base jumping, and your advice to other people about how to stay safe. <laughs> so talk about that, I don't, if you would. <laughs> I don't think so. And, and here's why. In fact, I talk about base jumping in there because the foundation that I push forward as central to personal safety in my book are situational awareness, having that and understanding that. And we can come back to that. But the other is intuition. And when you're doing things that are high risk, you have a heightened sense of intuition. And I talk about it in the book on a base jump in particular, where we're playing a game called spot the gust. And spot the gust means we're standing on a cliff and there's wind. And then there's a lull. And you can't jump during the wind because you'll die but you can during the lull. And so spot the gust, which you can't obviously really do, is a bit of Russian roulette. And I've done it many times, but on one occasion, I just felt like this was not gonna turn out well today. So I hiked down and in the event, I didn't jump, nothing happened, but that is that is listening to your intuition. And that's where modern humans mm-hmm. fall victim to crime or criminals or unhealthy environments, which is they're overriding their intuition. They're not in touch with their intuition. And I believe the reason that is so common today is it has never been a safer time in human history to be alive. You're less likely to be sold into slavery, raped, have all your possessions stolen, or be involved in a war today than at any time in history. Not that there isn't conflict in crime. That's why I've written the book. But the fact is you can ignore your intuition on a daily basis and probably not suffer. And that's not what you should be doing especially with regard to personal safety. And I talk about that in the book a lot. In fact, there's exercises in the book on how to improve that connection as an individual to your own intuition. I love how you have broken this down for people in this semblance of activities, to know, to prepare, 
to act and then be able to regroup and recover. So let's begin with knowing. How do we develop a sense of knowing what kind of situation we're in? Well, we just touched on intuition. And and so let's not spend too much time on that because it's, it's in the book, but and there's a science behind it and it, it is real. And the, the two things I say about intuition that I rarely speak in absolutes about, but I do with intuition are this. If it's speaking to you, it's in response to something existential. You may not consciously know what it is, but you get that bad feeling. I don't want to walk across the parking lot tonight that I walk across every night in the dark, but I don't know why. That's your intuition speaking to you. And it's responding to something. It's guaranteed. And the second is, it's in your interest to listen to that voice. You ignore it at your peril. That's not just for personal safety. You can use that in business decisions with partnerships, finding love. There's a lot more about this foundation that I propose in the book for personal safety. But the other is situational awareness. A lot of experts and most people in common usage of the term treat it as a singular word, situational awareness. It's not hyphenated. It's not two words. It's just like, I have this thing. And that's not really true. Not when you when you're an expert like me at, at risk mitigation and high risk activities and you do things that you have to make these kind of calculations. And I've done this in Bangkok and Brooklyn. I've done it in Yemen, you know, places you don't want to go. And you have to understand that situational awareness is two terms. It's the situation, which is external to me. What is in my environment? Who's in that environment? And what is my place in relation to those people and the things going on external to me? Yeah. That's your situation. But my awareness really comes down to, well, what's my appropriate level of awareness? You're in your studio. I'm in my office. We're completely oblivious to everything around us because right. it's, it's a benign environment. We're safe. Mm -hmm. But if I'm back walking the streets of Bangkok at two o'clock in the morning, which I've done, and you are a stranger in a strange land, people can identify you, mm -hmm. whether by skin color or you open your mouth or you're, how you're attired. The fact is, how aware should I be becomes a very critical thing. And that's internal. And I control that. I have power over that unless I'm looking at my phone when I talk about phones a lot. And we all do it. I have no doubt I'm going to convict you right now, Sheila. You drive and text. Deny it. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I only do it on roads where I know that I have a long straight path and that I feel very much in control of my speed limit and perhaps the other drivers. I know that's a really stupid excuse, but yes, you're that's right. That's a great rationalization. <laughs> I can appreciate that. And I, I do it too. Listen, I call myself out. When I talk about that with people when I speak or in the book is, hey, we all live with our phone. We're victims of phone addiction and it's just how part of daily life. The goal here, what I encourage people is, don't use it when you should not. Mm -hmm. Do not be the person who lands in London after a seven-hour flight from JFK and get on the tube to go to Soho to your hotel and look at your phone. Right. You know why? You're wrong time zone. You're sleep deprived. You're skating your rhythms off. You stand out. You're a tourist. You got bags. You're exposing yourself in a way that you shouldn't. That's the foundation of understanding what situational awareness is and how to use it. And in my book, there are exercises in there to help people understand how they can improve and understand situational awareness better. And yeah. so those two things are, are how you're going to know. You know, I really love that you had some very practical guidelines around things like 
parking lots, alleys, dead ends. I've read a lot of personal safety books. This is the first one that I actually want to send to my daughter because I think, especially living in a city, sometimes at late at night, we may want to just take shortcut just to be able to reduce the lengths we have to walk. But if it's not well lit, if it's a place you haven't been before, like you're always looking at your level of risk versus your level of what we can attain from taking those shortcuts. And I love that. I think that was really good advice. A lot of that was very deliberate. What I've done in my life, and it's a matter of record, whether it's base jumping and, you know, world records and special ops and, and the kind in writing books now, those are the things that we do. But really, I'm after 30 years in the military, I'm like the least military cat you've ever met. Like, I don't believe in rank. I don't put it on my books. I, don't, I never, I didn't care about it when I was in, much to the frustration of people I worked for. Yeah. But the fact is to make this book readable and enjoyable, because that's my job as an author, is to help people be safe. I'm, I'm on a mission. My mission right now is to save lives with a book. And my but, mission is to remind people about the title as often as I can, because I think it's a super important book, The Power of Awareness and Other Secrets from the World's Foremost Spies, Detectives, and Special Operators on How to Stay Safe and Save Your Life. So preparation, you, you know, I often don't think about preparation except when I'm traveling, but you're talking about, Dan, being prepared in every aspect of your life, wherever you're moving through. Talk about why that's so important. Because with regard to personal safety, which is the, the central topic for us today, Sheila, what you really have to do in order to be prepared is using the foundation of what you know. Now, I now know my place. I now know there may be threats, whatever they are. Those are the first two rules of my book. And my book is really six rules. And the second two rules, which are how to be prepared to your question, the first question you have to answer at this point when I'm trying to be prepared is, do I have a problem? You don't have to be a Superman. You don't have to be a spy. You don't have to do special ops like I do. Because we're not better than other people. We just have trained more extensively in certain things. So for you as the typical human wandering the planet, and that's I'm speaking to everybody that I hope is listening. When you are using your awareness, your question that you ask, if you think there's something there is, do I have a problem? If the answer is no, well, no problem. If the answer is yes, that's it. You move on to the second act of being prepared, which is the fourth rule of my book, which is make a plan. Mm. You just have to realize I have a problem now. A potential mugger is stalking me. I think they're behind me. I'm walking Brooklyn streets. Okay. My plan should be, and this is my favorite plan of all time, run away to quote the great philosophers, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. I, you know, that's a legitimate plan. It's my favorite plan. Yeah. Special operation experts like myself use that plan. But your plan, that's a hasty plan. Your plan can be more deliberate, which is call the police, call your wife or husband or somebody you work with, flag down a person, walk into a restaurant, you know, whatever it is my, that you need to do to make yourself safe, the plan needs to be in your mind. What are my steps? And it should be very easy. So that's preparation. I have a problem. I've decided I have a problem and I have a plan. That's how you're going to prepare in personal safety. I, th I think that many times the reason that women don't react in this way to know, prepare, and implement a plan is that they feel as if they will be overly dramatic or they will feel as if they are making someone who is by all accounts spooky, who's behind them, but maybe really isn't dangerous, uncomfortable. How, what's your advice to women in particular about when you have this feeling that you should be implementing your plan, but you're concerned about making someone feel uncomfortable. 
Well, it goes back to what I have really learned in the course of writing this book. You know, women live in a world in modern society of double standards. It's, mm-hmm. it's a fact. You and I aren't going to solve that in an hour-long conversation. But because it's part of reality, that feeds into what I think you've identified. I learned a lot from these LAPD detectives I spent a lot of time with in the course of writing the book. Because I, I wanted to draw, not from special ops, but other communities that people could then feel more connected to so they could be safer. And it comes down to what you were talking about. Women in particular, and I learned this from a a sex crimes detective in LAPD who did three years. She's like, they don't want to look foolish. Right. And they don't want to be rude. Where in the same situation for a guy, he'd be like, hey, screw you. I'm not letting you in my apartment complex. Right. Women often unfairly feel judged. But what I would, my advice to them is don't risk your life for some social double standard or perception that isn't even reality. Do you really care that this guy who's asking you to let him into your apartment complex that gives you the creeps or you don't know or whatever reason you feel shouldn't let him in because it would be rude is not a reason to risk your personal safety. You're worth more than that. We all are. Every human is, but but women in particular, they feel this pressure because they don't want to be judged I think, and, and this is what I've, I've taken. And, and the detective I learned from, who is female and been a detective for 25 years, well, she talked endlessly about how women, unfortunately, would put themselves or allow themselves to be in a situation that was so high risk. And the purpose of this book is for women in particular to not do that. Yeah. The proponents of victims of violent crime are women, and the perpetrators are almost exclusively male. Yeah. Men are bad. I would say. I talk about this a lot in the book and I compare it to the chimpanzee society, which is a lot of parallels with humans, <laughs> especially males, my opinion now. Dan, um, I hike a lot alone and I've only probably had four times in my hiking career where I have felt like I was personally at risk. And one of the things that I did, and I'm curious how you would gauge this, is that I actually turn around, I face the person and I yell at them in that way of saying, You've been behind me for a long time. You could pass me. What is going on? Why are you hiking so close to me? What do you need? Is there a way that in actually putting them on notice that you're aware of their behavior, that that is a strategy for making them aware that you perhaps you won't be such easy prey? Well, you've touched on the right word, and that is prey. Prey versus predator. Chimpanzees and humans usually attack from behind. People behind you make you naturally uncomfortable, and that's the natural position for people to be in. What you did to speak about your situation in reality was you turned around. You didn't give them some coy look over the shoulder, you know, or you're making you uncomfortable. That's prey animal gestures. And predators, humans in particular, they cue off of what you're doing. I talk about this in the book, too, how people walk and, and, and how they carry themselves projects to criminals, this is from criminal studies. They're like, I can pick a victim out of a lineup as soon as they open their mouth or as soon as they start walking. But what you did, Sheila, was a personal decision. And it's ultimately always a personal decision because personal safety is only your responsibility. You can't subordinate it or delegate it. But when you turned around and confronted that guy, it's like, hey, what the hell do you want? Or can I help you? Or I don't want you behind me. Right. You're putting that person on notice. Now, could that cause them to suddenly charge you and attack? It's possible, but probably what you're saying to that person. And if you make another human uncomfortable or you change the dynamic and upset what they thought were 
the variables, mm-hmm. you throw them off their game. And anything you do to throw somebody else off their game works, which is why running away is also legitimate. They're not going to chase you forever. You know why? The more they chase you, the more exposed they are. And they plan to attack you probably in the stretch of distance or in one spot. When you upset their plan, you increase the odds in your favor. So you have to make that decision. I'd say probably out of nature when you're doing this thing, if your intuition told you that I felt like I should confront this guy, Mm -hmm. you probably made the right call. Because actually that leads to the last two rules of my book, which is act. You had a problem and you made a plan. Even though you didn't really define it that way, the guy made you uncomfortable, so you decided you had a problem. Your plan was, I'm going to confront this guy. You made the decision in your mind before you acted. But the fifth rule of my book is to act and act decisively. That's what you did in your case. And when you do that, two things. One, there's no reason to second guess what you're going to do. You made a plan. It's the best plan you had. You don't second guess it when you're acting. That's what you do during their planning. As soon as you decide my plan is to turn around and confront them, you do it fully, decisively, the best of your ability. That's what matters. Most civilians and typical people don't think of that as something that they have to do. It's deliberate. And I want people, women in particular, to to realize I'm going to take action now and then do it. And that's how you're going to be better positioned to come out safe. And that's what matters to me. I I love that, um, you know, you refer to a lot of real life crime and real life criminals. And um, Ted Bundy was probably the very first um, criminal that I covered as a young reporter in Salt Lake City. And I really was fascinated in the, the case study that you used where this woman had all of the intuition. She had all of the weird feelings about why is he asking me to do that? And then she's sitting next to him in his VW bug and only when he's got her in the handcuff does she realize, oh, I I should have acted. So what prevents us from recognizing earlier on, trusting those feelings of intuition so that we can get to act, so that we can actually get to that place? Because it goes back to the foundation of personal safety. You're overriding or ignoring your intuition. Yeah. You're not paying attention to it. That's what she did repeatedly. Now, yeah. in fairness to her, you're talking about Carol Durant, yeah. the girl who got away. <clears throat> She's a teenager. Whether you're a male or a female, when you're a teenager, you don't think really well. I don't even think I was potty trained until I was 22 or something. You know, who knows? We don't <laughs> know what we do when we're teenagers. Yeah. But that's what's so important. And to me, understanding situational awareness and, and, and listen to your intuition. Do not override it. And so those exercises are actually available for free on my website. So, and I had to negotiate this with my publisher, obviously. People are going to buy this book, but no one's going to carry my book around. Mm. But six months later, when Sheila Hamilton's with her girlfriend and they're having a drink and she says, what was Dan saying about when you're dining in a restaurant, that thing. And I want you to be able to pull up your phone look at it and go, this is what he's talking about. And that by doing that, it starts the dialogue. And and it's by practice, practice, practice that we only get good at things. I'm a safety expert because I've practiced risk mitigation for decades. Um, Regrouping and recovering. What do you mean by that? You've just, maybe you've gotten yourself out of a really disastrous circumstance. How do you end up regrouping at that point? And I use that word in particular, even though it really comes, it has a lot of military or operational type yeah. affiliation. 
But the fact is, when you confronted your guy, we'll use your story right now, and you made your act, you either avoided or you gained some distance or he did something. And before you tell me what he did, what I think what matters to you is when he took that action, you were then, whether you knew it or not, regrouping. He either turned around, he apologized, or he passed you. He probably did one of those three things. And as he's doing that, you are now regrouping, which is a way to reassess the changed or new environment. Mm -hmm. And so for you, you're like, okay, now what's going to happen? And it's important that you do that. And that restarts the cycle. So if you just escaped narrowly, in your case, you may have avoided a confrontation or an attack. And that matters now is, okay, say I ran away. You know, Dan Schilling's favorite plan as a special ops badass is run away. And I ran away. Well, as soon as you feel you're out of that immediate danger, you need to stop and think, am I far enough away? Do I need to call somebody now? Do I need someone to come get me? Should I get more help now? Yeah. You know, is the or have I decided that the threat is completely gone? You need to do that afterwards. It's so important. In fact, it's a lot of feedback I've gotten uh, from the FBI Academy is, you know, how do I then make that adjustment after an event? And that's so important, which leads to the second R, which is to recover. All these things we've talked about to this point are an individual knowledge, preparation, or act. And to recover is not a solo thing. If you've been subject to a traumatic experience or you, you know, had a near miss, you know, the difference between a rape victim, a, a car crash victim, or a victim of extreme violence, of which I have been in, in combat, the, the physiological and emotional tolls are very similar. I'm not here to, to compare them, say one's better or worse, but, but the, the damage they cause and, and the challenges they present to life for us are similar. But what I advocate for, you're not going to do it alone. If you're religious, you reach out to that parish or synagogue. You know, if you were raped on a teen date, you call the teen dating hotline yeah. or, you know, the sexual assault hotline, you know, suicide prevention hotline. But all those are tools or people because what you need is the people. Mm. You have to connect with other people. And if you're fortunate enough to have a family and people that you love, that's best of all. My wife has helped me with my own trauma in a way that no one else could. And she's the reason I'm a very healthy person. Well, maybe I'm not healthy. Who knows? But she's the reason I've recovered as well as I have. And you need to reach out and you have to trust and love people. I do want to tell you that I think that this um, part of it, Regroup and Recover, is so interesting because in the circumstance that I gave you four times in all of the millions of miles that I've hiked, I've only had to do this four times. The first time, the guy was so embarrassed. He didn't even, he said, I was not even conscious of how close I was falling. Of, of course, I was thinking about other things. I'm very sorry that I, of course, I keep hiking with that guy. In the three other instances, Dan, the creeper... Um, reaction that I got was so profound to me. It was this kind of like, it was a feeling like I was still in danger. So I let them pass and then I turned around and ran. So you know what I would say? You were in danger. You know why? Your intuition was telling you. Yeah. And your intuition is a million years of of necessary evolution. Yeah. What matters, and here's how you know it works. Every ancestor you ever had for 100,000 years had to rely on their intuition long enough to procreate so you could have every other ancestor. So congratulations on your superior ancestry. But the problem problem now is 
you turn off what the wisdom of your ancestors through the millennia at your own risk. And we'll never know for sure. And that's one of the things I point out in the book. If you do everything in my book right, nothing will happen. Mm -hmm. You can't prove a negative. And in your case, you don't know, and you and I will never be able to determine how close you were to being assaulted in those other three cases. But I would say this to you and every listener, Sheila's intuition still tells her, maybe even decades later, that she was at risk. And you shouldn't question that because you're erring on the side of caution. And to protect your life is, is so important. The next most important thing is to take care of the people around you. Sheila, you and I are now on the same mission. My mission is to save lives and yours is too, because this book will save the lives of people that the listeners that are listening love. Absolutely. And for you should give us to your daughter. I hope you, it should, it should be readable to. for her. I, I'm going to. The Power of Awareness is the book by our guest today, Dan Schilling. Dan, I want to, just because I was um, taking my mother to lunch and, and we're here in Utah, one of the most I I would think like docile places in the country that you could take someone to lunch. And there was a man sitting at the bar and he was flushed face and clenched jaw and all of the body language that you talk about in your book of when someone is about to lose it. And he was yelling into the phone at the restaurant and he started swearing into the phone using the F word and the C word. And I was so surprised that other people around me were not my every alarm in my body was going off the manager didn't do anything about it until it got so out of control that other people began turning and asking them to have him quiet down and I just thought isn't this like how you might identify somebody who could be a mass shooter who could be a person who could get violent with a waiter or a waitress or somebody I mean aren't we getting a lot of these signs and sim and signals from the perpetrator themselves that they want us to be aware that they could be dangerous. Yes, and he's doing that for a number of reasons. Probably we we don't know his mental state except for that he's inconsiderate of others. He doesn't. He's not a high self monitor socially when he's integrated into group. Clearly, because he doesn't care that he's doing this to everybody else. He's more important than the rest of you. Right. That's a very common criminal thing. Rapists feel they're entitled. So the the victim has no calculus in them. They're just a target. I deserve whatever I want. This guy's doing a similar thing. It's a matter of degrees or intent. You know, he's not here to rape anybody in the restaurant, but he's letting everybody know this is who I am. And the reason I would say the manager wouldn't even approach him is it works. He's intimidating everybody else, including the manager. But what matters isn't the obvious one. You know, everybody knows that guy's a jerk. I won't use the A word. I love the A word. I use it in my book. But the bottom line is, because you know, that's how I describe Ted Bundy. But the bottom line is, where really matters for us to make sure that we can be as safe as we start to wander the world after the, the biggest global disruption in our human memory right. is to relieve that anxiety and instill well-founded confidence because we're queuing in on people and we're aware of the subtleties before they attack. You likely are going to encounter a criminal in the course of your walk or walking to your restaurant. I just filmed a a personal safety video yesterday. It's going to be up on the website here in a day or two. I'm talking about this is where you're going to find people. They're not plotting for you. This isn't the Hollywood thriller where they're stalking you forever. You may have someone like that, but that's not what's typical. You pass them. You bump into them. Mm -hmm. They're in the restaurant with you and they follow you out. So what 
really matters when you're in these big urban environments or strange cities where you don't know people is to be as open as we can to the, the clues and our own, our inherent abilities, situational awareness and intuition. And those are going to tell you before you have a problem because the best problems are never even solved. Mm. They're just avoided. I do want to know what you would have done in that circumstance if you had been in the booth with your wife. The minute it started making her uncomfortable, yeah. I probably would have gone up and got the manager first because there's strength in numbers. I'm not here to confront the guy and be a hero. Right. You know, I've done special ops. I've been in one of the biggest gunfights in half a century. And, and, and that's my job isn't to be a hero. My job is to do what my job is. And so my intuition and situation awareness have told me the guy's a problem. Yeah. I've determined rule three, he's a problem. My plan now is what we're talking about, Sheila, is well, I'm going to get the manager and the two of us are going to go get them together because nothing stares down a bully more than to be outnumbered. They don't mm -hmm. like that. So rather than confront him myself and start a scene, which is what he wants, probably, yes. I get the manager and the two of us go together. I'm going to body position myself at his back, which makes him uncomfortable while the manager talks to him. So he feels like, hey, two people are on me. That would be my plan. But I, I don't think I would let it rest for very long. There's always strength in numbers so that if you're on an airplane and someone is being belligerent, if you're on a road and someone is being belligerent, attempting to try to get the attention of other people so that you can have help in actually cornering this behavior, especially now with so much aggressive behavior going on, it's a really good tip mm. for people. It's one of the things I touch on in the book to help the typical human connect with these things that they may think is extraordinary or not themselves. And I talk about what's a hero. And a hero to me is someone who acted because they had to. I talk about the guy who prevented a rape, who was an HR manager. He'd never been in a fight in his life. And this thing was about to happen. And he realized, I can't let this happen. Mm. Yeah, I can't, I could live with it or you go on with all these extensions. But the bottom line is he felt he had to act. And my advice to everyone listening is, you are your own hero. Heroes are not some other person that's on a pantheon of otherworldliness. That's ridiculous. That's a movie. The fact is mothers will do anything to save their children. Yeah. Guys I know, and I have been one of these guys, I will sacrifice my life to save the life of a friend of mine because their life to me, it turns out is more important than my own. Mm -hmm. And you are that hero. Sheila, you're that hero. I'm that hero. Everyone listening has this power. And you just have to recognize, I have to take act now, hopefully before it's become a problem. Because in the end, this book isn't about carrying a gun or, or having martial arts skills. Those are tools that you use when you're in a fight. And by that time, you've missed the purpose of my book. Yeah. Don't get in a fight at all. Yeah, I love it. There are so many uh, chapters on digital uh, safety, three-dimensional dating safety. Like, it's really a phenomenal resource, and I'm so proud of you for writing it, Dan. It's wonderful. The Power of Awareness and Other Secrets from the World's Foremost Spies, Detectives, and Special Operators on How to Stay Safe and Save Your Life. Dan Schilling, it is always such a thrill to have you on our program. Thanks again. Thanks for having me on. We need to ski this winter, and in the meantime, to everybody else, I hope you're all well. Thanks for listening. If you love the program as we do, and we have so much fun uh, with these topics, you can always drop us an email at Sheila at Beyond Well. You can go to our website for some of the resources and a link to Dan's book. And if you could give us a thumbs up wherever you listen to podcasts, make it a great day. Bye.